Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, it's the NHRA's Joe Costello and Pro Stock Motorcycle Crew Chief Ace, Andrew Hines. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're talking all about the great and magical storylines from the Route 66 Nationals in Chicago. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loads. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is going to be a fantastic show with Joe Costello and Andrew Hines, both going to be uh, joining us today. Costello is going to talk about his kind of firsthand account of working with us on the NHRA on Fox side of things in Chicago. He was down in the thick of all the action down there. And we're going to talk to Andrew Hines for obvious reasons, the crew chief on what appears to be uh, one of the greatest pro stock motorcycles ever uh, that Gage Herrera is riding right now, as well as the work that Eddie uh, Kraywick is doing. He is now second in the point. So the Vance and Hines team is uh, making waves in Pro Stock Motorcycle, and we're going to talk to Andrew about that, his approach, how you maintain success without being worried about losing it, and all the other good stuff that comes with it. Goes without saying that our race, uh, the Gerber Glass and Collision Route 66 Nationals presented by Peak Performance was uh, a fantastic homecoming for us in that Chicago marketplace. Route 66 Raceway, the fans showed up by the tens of thousands and really were greeted with a little bit of rain Friday, but after that it was a beautiful weather weekend. Performances were great. You know, Robert Height makes the quickest and fastest run of the entire season, a 383. Uh, we, see, we see top fuelers in the 60s. Of course, we watched... Uh, pro stock cars battle it out both in the all-star call-out, which was uh, won by Camry Caruso. And then on Sunday, you got guys like Jerry Tucker going perfect on the starting line to, to beat Camry Caruso on a whole shot. Uh, all that action took place. Tim Wilkerson wins funny car in front of 500 SCAG employees. Clay Milliken wins top fuel. Um, everybody's crying and happy. I mean, it, it was it was one of those race days. It was one of those race days that delivered everything you want in a professional sport, in professional drag racing, whatever, however you want to say it, whether it was upsets, crushing performances, drivers stepping up to the plate to deliver for their teams, um, emotion, and then, of course, the payoff uh, of the winner's circle with the four racers that, that got it done. And all four of those storylines are very different. You know, Dallas Glenn now winning three pro stock races this year. He has control of the class. I said it on the show. I'll say it here again. Not by a lot in terms of performance, but he has control of the class. He's up uh, 168 points on the number two car right now, which can go away, and we know that can go away, and, and some slip-ups here and there can become a problem. But by and large, this guy's won three races so far. It does not look to be losing a fastball on anything. Gage Herrera continues to run rough shot and, and continues to have a perfect season, has not lost a round of competition, has qualified number one everywhere, won the first motorcycle mission too fast, too tasty challenge. Um, what else do you say about that? For Tim Wilkerson, uh, this was a great race day. It was a calculated race day by him. He did not overreach himself in the final round. He was the beneficiary of Ron Caps' parachute coming out. All things being equal, if the two cars had gone down clean, I'm thinking Ron probably would have got there. The incrementals leading up to the point where the air brakes came on indicated that he was probably going to get there, but he didn't. So that's really the point of that whole exercise is that Tim won the race fair and square, earned his way to the final, and had his car set up to make a complete run in that final, which allowed him to drive by caps. If he had smoked the tires early, it would have been a foregone conclusion, and Ron would have just coasted his way to the stripe at you know 50 miles an hour or something. But that's not how Tim had his car set up. It made the trip. Because it made the trip, he caught caps, and he earned every inch of the Wally that he had in his hand. And finally, for Clay Milliken, five years is just too long for that guy. We all love him. Everybody loves him. Jim Oberhofer, a beloved guy. Many of the people on that team had not won a race in years, even if they had come in and out of other teams, which some of them have. So, you know, there's all the connections, the 25, the fact he made his first start here 25 years ago. I mean, you can go right down the list and line, and it's eerie to a degree He's won this race in its 20th anniversary. Now he's won in his 25th anniversary. I mean, it's just Chicago is unequivocally his best NHRA track, unequivocally. 
between the semifinals and final round appearances, the wins, there is not a single place on the tour that he is statistically better than than Chicago. Racetrack was interesting. Uh, you know, with the rain Friday, certainly kept some of the traffic off it, so that was a bit treacherous early. Track certainly came in, worked its way in by the time we got to Sunday with track temperatures up over 120 degrees. It got a little got a little tricky out there. Some, some tiptoeing through the tulips for some of the fast cars, which was fun to watch. First round of Top Fuel, we sent uh, the vast majority of competitors from the bottom half of the qualifying order to the next round. It was uncanny. That I've never seen in my life. The vast majority of the bottom half advanced on to the second round as opposed to the more favorite, if you will, top half cars. Other news this week, it was announced, publicly announced, that Camping World will be departing NHRA at the close of the 2024 season. And as is typically the case with anything involving drag racing, the NHRA, whatever, uh, people immediately get the pearls out and they're clutching their pearls and they're staring at the sky. Woe is me. What are we going to do? We're doomed. Give it a rest. Like, get over yourselves, people. Like, have a little confidence in this thing that you purport to love. That is drag racing. Have a little confidence in that. Have a little uh, backbone. Have a little positivity. We had a great and will have a great partnership with Camping World until the end of next season. They have made internal changes to how they're going to allocate funding, so they're going a different direction. But this is not an acrimonious relationship. This has been a great partnership back and forth. And, you know, people are saying, well, you know, you don't see Marcos Lemonis at a race. You don't see this. It's like, honestly, I don't go to McDonald's to meet the CEO of McDonald's. I go there to get a cheeseburger and be on my way. I don't go to Walmart or, uh, I don't know, whatever branded store you want to go to. I don't go to a NASCAR race to see Steve Phelps. I don't go to a IndyCar race to meet the guy who's in charge of the NTT company that sponsors them. So I find it odd that our fans, fans have this thing about, well, Marcus, I didn't even see him at a race. What does it matter? What you saw at the race and will see at the race is a lot of Camping World branding and a lot of dough being spent and a lot of support being given to the series and a guy who came in at a time where we needed him. So, um, you know, the Camping World deal, again, it's going to be successful through this year. We'll have him through 2024. And again, I, I mentioned the word publicly announced because I wanted to clarify that in that it was announced the agreement, if you will, or this this kind of termination of the agreement or I don't know, termination of the, the, the contract non-renewal, let's call it that. The fact that they weren't going to renew the contract is not something that any of us internally uh, were surprised by. This was stuff that has been talked about on the inside of the company for, for a long time. It was now you know made public by the company that after 24, Camping World will step away. There are multiple people that are working and we are going to have another series sponsor after 2024. That's what's going to happen. I've seen all kinds of wacko kind of cockamamie things like, well, maybe they just get sponsors for all the classes and they don't have a title sponsor. It's like, get out of here. If you love drag racing, which I'm assuming you do if you're watching this or you watch our shows, then sack up. Understand that this is a big sport. Understand that this is a great, valuable sport with a great TV package that delivers to millions of people a year. So chill out. We have great value. We're going to have a great partner going forward and it's going to be fine. So, like, don't sit at home, oh, this is it. You know, you see people, well, this is it. They must have done something to make Marcus Lemonis mad. Absolutely not. Marcus Lemonis doesn't operate successful businesses multiple by being static or doing the same things. He signed a great agreement with NHRA. It has benefited both parties. It will benefit both parties to the close of the agreement. He will go on his way. We will go on ours on good terms. The value that they have gotten, they have repeatedly told us it is fantastic value. We bring value to them. We will bring value to the next sponsor. So you can sleep at night. It's going to be okay. We have a great product. We have a great series. And we have great people working on our behalf. And we're going to have a new partner after 2024. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. We've addressed it. It's happened. We're moving forward. Um, So, you know, I don't want that to at all overshadow the race weekend we did have 
the way we were received by the media in Chicago, by the fans in Chicago, by the fans of that greater Midwestern area. It met a lot of people that had come from various different places. And they came because they knew they were going to see a great package with all the classes that were there. The pro mods were there. We had our streetcar shootout there. We had two, Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty, All-Star Pro Stock Call-Out, bada-bing, bada-boom, bada-ba. It was just happening. It was nonstop traffic down that drag strip. And... Uh, I left there Sunday afternoon exhausted in a great way, exhausted like, wow, we've experienced all this. It's like it's it's you leave there on an emotional high to a degree because of that feeling you get when you understand how much fans love this and the fact that they got to see it again uh, in their home environment in this awesome facility made it even better. Are we going to do it again next year? I can't say anything officially, but you think we're going to do it again next year? I mean, look at what that looked like. Why would we not do it again next year? No official announcement has been made. I can't make one, nor do I know officially what's going to happen. But um, I'm not, you know, Warren Buffett or some other billionaire. But I can have a horse sense as to when something may be successful or not. And yeah, that was successful. So there's a quick rant to get the show started. Joe Costello is going to be our first guest when we come back right here on the NHRA Insider Podcast. Stay with us. All right, we are back here at the NHRA Insider Podcast. We have our first guest of the episode for this post-Chicago show. He is the founder and host of WFO Radio. He is an NHRA announcer, an NHRA and Fox reporter, an all-around good guy, a defender of the public interest, and a cat dad. Joe Costello, how are you doing, man? I am a cat dad right now. I was just posting cat pictures right after a big race weekend. What has happened to my masculinity? Oh no! <laughs> no, man, you're there. You're there. You're a good. Uh, you're a good uh, steward for the the felines that you have in the house right now. But um, you know, I obviously want to talk about this race, and and you got to be in the thick of it down there in the starting line all weekend long, and and we'll kind of work our way to to the Sunday deal. But the energy at Chicago was really fantastic. I mean, we hadn't been there in years, and and we were hoping people showed up and boy did they ever so i got to go in early for the press conference which was on wednesday and you think about markets i don't know if fans think about markets and i know the race is in joliet it's about 50 minutes from the city but we did our press conference at gino's east the historic deep dish pizza place the original location the media department put it together the force family showed up mid-afternoon and it was there that I knew it was going to be a big deal because we had four television stations. We had WGN. We had three other radio stations. Like this thing was covered very well. John Force was super excited about it. And you got Force and you got Britt. She's the champ. Robert and Austin had just won the race. Yep. And the interviews and questions that these media people were asking about the facility, about the track, about why we were coming back. It was there I knew, oh boy, this has got the potential to be something special and it carried right through the weekend it really did and you know that's a monstrous place and you know the initial plan for nhra you know they they're coming back in they're not 100 percent sure what you know what's the market demand going to be what's this going to look like was that the right side of the racetrack looking down the course was going to be the primary seating area and in a great twist they had to open multiple sections on the other side to, to handle the crowd and you know this as well as i do but that racetrack historically has always had a really strong presence of fans that like to stand next to the track because because it's a unique perspective there. You're not standing behind a fence as much as you are some kind of low, like a low concrete wall. So you take the amount of people that were jammed up in that grandstand, which was full. Then you take the fence line from the starting line, basically all the way past the scoreboards. And then you start adding people to the left side. It's just, it is a monster crowd. And what a great, uh, what a great reception we got. The people were super, not just there, but they were engaged in the race as well. Engaged, appreciative, welcoming, thrilled. How do we keep it? How do we get it back? What do we need to do? All of those things. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are some people out there on the net and on the Twitter machine, yeah. like post their thoughts. But <laughs> what's, what's really funny is when it's totally divorced from reality. You know, yeah. some things are subject. Brian, you and I are going to have a great time no matter what. If it's 10 people, yeah. we'll just feel like it was a VIP experience and we'll still love it just the same. This was a huge event, one of the best attended events we've had. Those grandstands are massive. It was totally overbuilt in 1998. They thought, yeah, man, we could pack. I don't know what the number actually is. Maybe you do. I think it's total combined capacity around 40,000. Somewhere huge. in that, yeah, 30 to 40, somewhere in there. I mean, it's, it's gigundo. Yeah. 
think of an NFL stadium holding 70. Yeah. And you think of an eighth mile of grandstands on both sides. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, half of that, you would imagine, not to mention the people you, you, you talked about standing along the rail, the railbirds. Uh, this thing was huge. All of a sudden, we're moving screens. We're opening up sections. That's exactly what we need. The demand was high. But even if the demand wasn't high, the people that were there absolutely loved it they did and they got a great show i mean qualifying it was interesting to watch teams navigate the racetrack obviously friday night was a little thin on the performance side outside of some major blips like robert height with that nasty 83 and mike salinas got down with a high 60 so it was like we got those little indications that there would certainly be a bunch to work with over the weekend uh the saturday qualifying was great the two sessions we had there but you know the 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 stuff that goes on in the pits outside of the racetrack i think was also really fun in that you know, you and I worked together in the Pro Stock All-Star call-out, you know, portion of that event. We saw the massive crowd we had around that stage. The autograph sessions were swamped. It was like, again, it was more of people really kind of taking advantage of everything that was going on because they had been so starved of it for years. And that was what I really liked. I liked the fact that it wasn't just sitting there hooting and hollering in the grandstands. It was, they were shaking hands. They were hugging their friends that they hadn't seen in years. It was it was a super unique experience, I think, for me, just to see how, how happy, genuinely, people were that we were there. Yeah, we're, it, it, you know, we can't overstate this. And to everybody that's listening, it's like, these guys are getting paid to say this stuff. And yeah. the answer is, you know, we love drag racing, and, and that's how we ended up getting here. But in this particular example, it was amazing to see all of the emotion that was attached to the resurrection of the facility. Yeah. And it's so true. People uh, who are diehard fans who go to tracks all around, you know, the three, four, five event a year people, they put a gold star on this one and they all showed up. I yeah. saw a lot of Arizona Nationals shirts, a lot of people from Brainerd, Minnesota. The Yeti was there, for gosh sake. Everybody was there to enjoy this event because it, as we're leading up to it, like, we don't know. Is this a one and done? What yeah. is it? We're trying to prove its value and certainly we did now you know there are things out of our control but the passion for drag racing in that region should not be questioned no and the other point before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of the race is you know that that market not just because it's chicago and because it's a huge population center and it's a great market for us to be in for every other reason but on this other side of it you had skag with 500 employees there peak brought hundreds of people out cornwall tools brought hundreds of people out uh dhl had a load of people there i mean you go down the list of of teams that deal with these big corporate partners and sponsors and they all came with their employees. So it's like a double down where if you're going to back a race car and you're going to use a race car as a marketing tool for your company, you do not want people to show up to a racetrack that is devoid of energy, that is devoid of life. You want them to show up to a place that's rocking and rolling. And, you know, especially for the Skag people, because of how it turned out for Wilkerson, this was like the slam dunk of all time. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the Wilk story and, uh, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, something like that. Nice. The fact that he goes out there and is able to win the race and deliver for that group. They had 500 people. I also had an interaction with one of the, the bigs. There was a C and there was an O at the end. I don't know if it was COO or C, but a peak. And he introduced himself to me on the starting line. Of course, it was loud. And I was like, are you having a good time? And he's like, I, I'm having the best time. Like, they loved it. Uh, the experience they were having and that's our deal our greatest challenge is getting people to the to the track yeah and having them feel what we feel because it's a feel kind of thing it's it not is. a watch kind of the feel kind of thing and once you feel it and see how it affects people and then you know gosh forbid they win a race or they go some rounds as john force <laughs> right. did so we just got to keep building on it yeah, so now let's get into the nuts and bolts of the race. And, you know, we got to start with Pro Stock Motorcycle. Andrew Hines is going to be the second guest on this show. And, you know, I wanted I want to talk to him. I always love talking to Gage, but I love that secondary perspective of, of Andrew who, you know, really plucked this guy basically out of obscurity, stuck at home, watching the U.S. Nationals last year famously. And he watches this guy who's not on the fastest bike in the world, but he sees like these kind of flawless mechanics. And he gets a hold of Gage. And, and we're talking about now – something that is beyond anything I've ever seen in drag racing, Joe. I mean, this guy not only hasn't lost a round, he hasn't not qualified number one. He hasn't not won the very first Too Fast, Too Tasty deal. I mean, it is perfect. 
it's actually perfect. He's undefeated, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm from Miami, as you know. We've got our one major accolade, <laughs> which is the 72 Miami Dolphins, the perfect season. I, and that was impossible until it happened, and it has yet to be duplicated ever since. And so, I, you know, I was joking with Gage, but I'm not really joking. I'm, I'm serious about it. you got to dream, dream big. Right now, uh, it's going to be a parts failure or, you know, what's going to be the reason that Gage loses a round? I don't know. Had some great conversations with Joey Gladstone. I had some conversations with some other racers out there. And this combination, it's not just Gage, but Gage is a great racer. It's not just Andrew Hines and all the new stuff they've got going on there. It's all of it together. And I don't know, we might see something. We might see them make a run late into the season, just like this, where the story transitions from... You know, you know, amazing stuff to, wow, could they really do something? But uh, Michael Heiner was on one of my shows uh, last night, and he said, you know, though, but then there's the countdown. Yeah. And as much as this is all great, it's those last races that really matter, and who knows what Matt Smith is doing, and who knows what these other guys are doing, and maybe they can get their act together. And so that keeps the interest uh, going. But, yeah, Gage Herrera, you know what I love the best about the kid? I'm not a I'm not a motorcycle guy necessarily. There are people who are. They grow up in and around yes. dirt bikes, yep. motorcycles, Harley's cruising, all of that. Gage is a drag racing kid. Yeah, his great grandfather was a gassers guy, and this is just one of the ways that they are continuing to be drag racers. His sister runs Super Comp, and he loves running this motorcycle, and so. Watch out, Gage Herrera, and what a fun story. Like, who's going to be the first to beat this guy? Like, that's yeah. an accolade unto itself that will last forever in the history of drag racing. The first to beat Gage when he was on with Manson Hine. Yeah, who 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 breaks up the no hitter, right? I mean, who's the you know who breaks up the perfect game, and and that is that is the question. And I think the thing that strikes me, maybe it strikes you differently, is that. I don't see anybody that can do it right now. And, and you know, we've seen racers go on a run. You know, we saw Steve Torrance sweep the countdown. But when Steve Torrance swept the countdown, we look at it in hindsight now, there was some, like, there were some some breathtaking moments in that. There were some races that were won by just shaves of seconds, of thousands of seconds. And that necessarily isn't the case here. Now, he's one red light away from this streak ending, and he's one, you know, misshift away from this streak ending. But, I mean, this is... Uh, he looks impervious at this point. Yeah, it's special. In that uh, Steve Torrance deal, the person who was the closest to beating Steve in the perfect countdown was his dad. His, dad. his dad was trying to ruin everything for his own his own history. <laughs> but, uh, this, this will be interesting. I think the stat that shocked everyone was that Gage's worst run yeah. was several hundredths of a second better than anyone else's best run. And I don't know if that's ever happened. No, I, you know, we you, you look at the margins round around. I mean, he's coming in with a tenth on most people, if not more than that, uh, especially in round one. But it's just like it's it's ridiculous. He came in to the final against Chip Ellis with with over a tenth of a second advantage, and he's using parts that everybody can buy too. I think that's one thing that we need to clarify as well, because you know during the Harley Davidson days, that was kind of a, a a cloistered thing that that one team had access to those parts, and that's how it was. But in this case, the Gen 3 bodywork's available for everybody, the engine cases, the cylinder heads, all this stuff is out there and available, and it's just these guys have done a really masterful job with it. You mentioned Mike Heiner, and I want to talk about Derek Kramer. Obviously, he did not win the race, but it was almost a bigger deal to some degree that he has now made those multiple finals in a row. Of course, he wins in in Charlotte, does not quite turn the trick against Dallas here in Chicago, but... um, it is an amazing, great story. It's heart and soul. These guys didn't quit. They didn't. They didn't blow their team up, and they managed to soldier through frustrating seasons, not just a frustrating stretch, years, and they're finally back at it where they belong. Yeah, it's uh, it's so crazy the uh, the fortitude and the just tenacity that some of these pro stock teams show. You know, the McGahey family is yes. kind of going through it right now, and. Derek Kramer and, and Dave Kramer and Michael Heiner, they went through this whole arc. Remember, in 2019, they won in Chicago. They set low yeah. key in the final round. This is a team that is very capable. But then they you know, they got, uh, they got lost at sea for yeah. a while. And it was a series of cascading issues that 
were unrelated and they were trying to solve something they thought was wrong except that wasn't it and so they went down this road and it was the wrong road and then they figured out a problem but now they're lost uh just very pro stock style thing of, of doing middle last year they they found it they genuinely found it you know we hear oh like we found it and, and you don't find it right they found it they finished off last year very strong they came out of the box this year did some testing you know heiner is a mad scientist i've gotten to know him a little bit better now that he's uh, he's coming on wfo sure. on a pretty regular basis and we, we talk a lot and he gives me some insights and to his the way he approaches things, which he's in constant test mode. He's in one of those guys. He's yeah. always testing and uh, got a little too aggressive in the final round because he, he wanted to, yes. he didn't want to beat Alice. He wanted to <laughs> beat Alice. what he said and it didn't work out and they shook the tires, but yes. And that's what makes pro stock good is when you've got independent teams and they yeah. do use KB Titan power, but they're an independent team. Yeah, they do their chassis, their not, own chassis setup. They're they're tuning that engine. That they're you know they're not taking anything away from from other KB team arrangements. But those guys, yes, they have that engine between the frame rails. And other than that, it's all them. Absolutely, Adam Hornberger, who has uh, you know worked uh, at high level teams in the past as a, a chassis and shock specialist. He is you know reining in Michael Heiner. Like, you know, maybe you want to do it like this. <laughs> and they, they're, they've got a great chemistry. And Chris Vang, who does the clutch on that car, goes because out and wins stock eliminator yeah. in Daria's car. It, like, it was just, they've, they're having a moment right now. They've got the energy going. Uh, you know, they're on a heater, whatever you want to say. But uh, energy and momentum and positive, all of that stuff is going on for the Get Biofuel team. Derek Kramer. I'm sorry? Oh yeah, that's, I was that's, say yeah. Dallas Glenn, who's just perpetually on a heater. And what's cool to me about the Dallas situation this year is that it's like he has and maintains that hard hat kind of lunch pail mentality because that's who he is as a person. That's how he's always been. Obviously, we know how much if personal investment he has in the mechanical side of that car. He drives the truck to and from the races, and so this is like. He does not have, and I say this with with happiness or respect, he doesn't come with a lot of flash and dash. He comes with, you know, a set of dirty hands, and he comes with a a fire suit that's kind of dirty because he's rolling around in the car before it comes up to the staging lanes. But is this the year we see the old-school pro-stock guy dominate a field? And I think we're starting to see it shape up. I just don't know if it sustains, but I really don't have any reason to think it won't. Yeah, it, it, the Dallas goes red in the pro stock call out. He called out Erica. Yeah. She put the twenty five hundred dollars from Johnson's Horsepower Garage. Came back on him. I felt like that was a really great moment. It was showcasing the personalities of pro stock. And I know that there are a lot of people over the last 10, 15 years who have kind of created a narrative about pro stock. All the cars are Camaros. Well, they're not. Yes, they are all DRCE competition racing engines, just like the nitro cars are all, you know, Hemi style, Hemi evolved yep. engines. And and that happens because uh, it happens. It's evolution, right? It's just the way it is. But you got Dallas Glenn, who is the every man. Well, those guys with their jets and they're all yeah. rich and all that, that is not the story. This is a... Bob Glidden, Warren Johnson kind of character. They are just working. That's that's how they gain advantage. They just work harder. They work longer. He does it all. He and his dad. And also stuff on other cars as well that aren't even his. Yes. That's how he gets to have the opportunity. And so and when he's on an off week, he's out there running big money bracket races. He's going to the million. This guy was going to call out Bo Butner had Bo Butner made the call out, which he did not, but he had already had it planned out to call out Bo Butner as revenge for the Jeds All-Stars <laughs> like 10 years ago. Oh, he was man. ready to try to get revenge, and then Bo messed it all up. But I don't see why the, um, the hands-on bracket racer, everyman racer, wouldn't rally around Dallas Glenn because of his bio. He's, uh, he's like comes across as just a pure of heart yeah and and look the other neat thing which i realized it almost too late i kind of crowbarred it into the call of the final but you know both of their dads are on the starting line with them and they're not there just you know holding a little pennant that says go dallas or go Derek." uh they both swing wrenches that they both work almost as hard as their own sons to get these cars ready 100 percent. 
the family that races together stays together. I say it all the time. It's one of our greatest assets in drag racing of all kinds and NHRA drag racing specifically that it, you've got, you know, fathers and daughters and grandfathers and everybody's there together and they're all supporting each other and they're all working hard to make it all happen. That's, you don't see that normally the baseball players on the field. Maybe the fans are in the, the yeah. parents are in the grandstands and uh, you get a camera shot. No, they, <laughs> both of these kids, dads were right on the starting line right in the mix and when it was over uh they both went over and congratulated yeah. one another and class had that moment yeah class acts all, all through uh listen let's just talk wilkerson here because you know wait a second talk time out i i just want to get your take right because you know controversy right like yeah. i think i think we're seeing a little a little heat up that uh, jerry don tucker trip zip first round uh, i was in the middle of that and for a first round win there was really a lot of emotion around that. Well, oh, listen, but listen, was- there is an incredible amount of animosity between the Elite Motorsports Group and Camry's team. Let's just say it like it is. And that's exactly why you saw the reaction that they had when Jerry went perfect against her and beat her in the first round. Uh, there is no love lost there in either direction. And so you are seeing... You you are seeing it as raw as it gets, and you know I don't know if Jerry so much is is, is as emotionally invested. Although you know via the team, I'm sure he understands and he understood the job there. But yeah, there is there is there is going to be no Christmas cards. They will not be sitting next to each other at the awards banquet, and you know to a degree, it's the old the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. You know that that team will literally root for anybody that's racing her. Yes, and it's. If you want rivalries, if you want genuine emotion, yeah. I want genuine emotion. Well, you're seeing it, and it's. I feel like it's beginning to flare. It's a flare-up that is happening, and we're witnessing it uh, right now. Uh, Jerry, great job. Like, that guy oh, man. into the sport. He's yeah. different cars. Watch out. You're going to have another one now. You're going to have another one that's capable of winning races. He goes all the way to the semifinals. 007 yep. against Dallas and just uh, shook the tires, unfortunately. Uh, otherwise, we could be talking about a Jerry Tucker uh, race win, certainly a final round. Yeah, he put together, you know, the, it's, a, it's a very young career at this point, but he, he put together a very 100% professional driving package over the course of that Sunday. So, for sure. And if the thing had stayed stuck to the racetrack, we might be talking about him racing Kramer in the final round, like you said. Uh, for, you know, for Tim Wilkerson, this was like, you know... It, this was a long time coming in in the way that he won, in my opinion. This was not a, a situation where uh, he locked himself into things. Tim made his Tim made his way to the final the old fashioned way. Was he the benefit of Caps' parachute falling out? Absolutely. But if you don't get there in the first place, you don't get that opportunity. And the car did go down the racetrack, didn't smoke the tires. You know, for whatever reason, there was a lot of struggle getting down this track, especially in the earlier rounds on Sunday. And he didn't suffer those problems. So it was a, a very smartly tune race by Tim, who is a guy who likes to who likes to swing the bat. This role that I've been, you know, in and on NHRA on Fox with you guys, and I'm really enjoying it, has given me the opportunity and a reason to butt into these guys as they're thinking about stuff on the starting line. <laughs> like I yeah. always wonder like, yeah. what are you thinking about? And now it's my responsibility to go try to figure it out. And uh, hopefully I was as clear as could be, maybe not, when I told the story of, of Tim, deep in thought, first round, and he said, I, I go, Tim, what, what do you think is out there? He goes, well, I think a low 90 is out there. I think I'm capable of a mid 90, like a 95 or 96, but I don't think it's going to take that to win the race. Yeah. And he goes out and runs the 98. And I, I felt like that, I could see the methodology there. Yep. I just got to get down. That's what everybody's got to understand. They're racing the racetrack and what's possible. And then they're racing what they think their opponent is capable of. So he runs a 98. Then the next round, he goes, oh, one. Richard Hartman said, yeah, we backed it down maybe a little too much there. Uh, ultimately, in the final round, puts up a 96. Yep. And reaction times could have been better. Tim will tell you that. Yes. But the racing gods intervened. Caps is uh, 053, parachute comes out, 411 toe in the chute, by the way, pretty crazy. Yeah. And uh, the 500 SCAG employees, they went crazy. Like, that was the moment for them. And again, history rhymes. Wilkerson comes back to the side of the first one, 
and gets his most recent. Yeah, and, and listen, that the value of that really can't be overstated in terms of the Skag thing to me because, you know, you're, you work for the company and, and obviously the company's saying, hey, we got this cool race car response and we're doing all this neat stuff. And then you get to go to the racetrack and watch it. But then the guy wins. So now all of a sudden, like, I would be willing to bet you dollars to donuts that of those 500 people, if any of them watch drag racing on a regular basis, great. But I guarantee you more than 200 of them are going to be watching at Epping to see what their guy does now because he's now their guy. He was before the guy that was on the cool poster in the office that showed the funny car with the company logo on it that you could be proud of. But now he is their guy. Absolutely. Delivered for them the moment that everybody wishes that they could have and feel, which is why we all chase the dragon with our sports and root on our teams to feel like a winner when we just have a job. Right. When when do regular people get to feel like a winner? Well, when their team wins. Every one of those people that's related to Skag throughout the country, they they should feel like a winner right now because that's that's rare. He got the job done, and it's not going to be the last. They broke through. They're learning the new parts. And uh, I think Wilkerson is going to put himself in the mix. We've been talking a lot about the big three, the Hagen, the Height, the Caps, and who else can force their way into that conversation. I think Wilkerson is forcing his way into the conversation. Well, yeah, look, at, over the last several seasons when Tim has managed wins, they've come late. You know, it's been U.S. Nationals, it's been Charlotte. You know, it's been those fall races. So, like, kind of going back to the whole Matt Hartford thing where, like, a lot of times Matt's better performances come late in the season. Well, you know, like Matt Hartford, all of a sudden Tim is early in this season having that type of stuff. So if he's able to maintain this level, you get a guy like that into the countdown. And instead of basically figuring it out on the fly as you're picking up some wins at the end of the year, you build yourself into a situation where you now go into a countdown with a whole big head of steam behind you and all that additional knowledge. So, you know, it's a great thing. He'll obviously be part of the Too Fast, Too Tasty, as will the semifinalists in our uh, Top Fuel and Funny Car in Epping. We do not have Pro Stock or Bike at Epping, so those will be contested in Bristol. And, uh, you know, Clay Millick, and I want to spend some time here with you if you still have some time, Joe, because this was a car that, frankly, didn't look good. They had not won around all season. They had had some close shaves, but they had not really qualified that well. They had been put in bad situations in the first round, having to press, smoking the tires a lot. And then, lo and behold, it's like the – the and again, people say, oh, the stars lined up. It was his day. But it was that's not how it works to me. It, how it works to me is whatever approach they decided to take starting on Friday afternoon was spot on. I mean, the car was brilliant on Sunday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think about Jim Oberhofer. I had a great conversation with Jim Owen in, in the winner's circle, and the pressure's off, and they won a race. And this is personal for every one of these people. The yeah. idea, Michael Heiner told me about it a couple, would I, a couple of weeks ago. Would I ever win again? Am I capable yeah. of winning? Is it me? Have I lost it? And Jim Owen reiterated all of those yeah. things, like, am, is, is my time over? Has the sport passed me by? They had all new parts. Rick Ware comes in. And they're used to running on a budget. Let's just say it that way, right? Like, you know, Doug Stringer did such a great job forming the team, getting them out there, getting this to be a team when we needed them so badly. But running to survive is very different than running with new parts, new pieces, everything. It's just about the metal, right? Like, how flexible is it? The settings, like, everything is different. And so, Jimmo said flat out we had to change some things around they changed some things around and they got a huge reward with the win clay of course yeah a huge fan favorite josh hart in the other lane doing real well as well but this is a big time win people are crying in the winner's circle for all you listeners out there nhra insider listeners there were tears in the winner's circle from a lot of people after this win well and i think what's interesting and not going to go too far down this road but what's interesting is some of the more experienced people on that team came from other places and you know to use the term cast off is is probably rough but maybe that is like you know what jim was saying i think translates all the way down to the to the kid who's the tire and body specialist on the car i mean there are people on that team that have a lot of experience that have worked with a lot of the biggest names in the sport and that time with those big teams didn't necessarily end on their terms or the way they would have wanted it so you get this group together that maybe they felt uh, they felt shorted and maybe they have been shorted by some of the bigger teams and they get to come out here now and actually beat them 
that's where the emotion comes from. And I think I think that same sentiment that Jim shared has this passed me by. Am I ever going to do this again was probably shared by everybody in that entire group. You know, we talk about young people that come into the sport and they get to win very early on. Well, there's a lot of people in that group that have not won a race in years, not just with Clay, but with the other teams they were on. So double the emotion there. Rick Ware has got a car in the NASCAR All-Star Race. He's got cars in the Indy 500, but he gets his win in NHRA drag racing, kind of validating the decision he made to come to this sport, to participate, to invest. We made a big deal. You know, Tony Stewart gets so much attention because he's one of NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers. Yeah. He's an IndyCar champ. Got so much media machine behind him. But Rick Ware was right there with him, coming into drag racing. Hopefully there are more as a valuable part of his motorsports empire and uh, you know the word is that he's over the moon on it and, and able to score a victory I, I clay i followed him all the way from the track to the media center just talking and, and clay's smile is always 10 out of 10 well today it was 20 out of 10 you know on an operational level the rick weir thing kind of on a next level thought is is different than a tony stewart win for prospective nascar investors people who want to get involved and i say that because Rick's team is based out of Charlotte. He took all his stuff, you know, from what we know is the hub of nitro racing in Indy and moved it in-house where his shop is in Charlotte. So there are likely people that are thinking about considering getting involved in NHRA, but maybe they think, you know what? I don't need more real estate. I don't need another group of employees a thousand miles away from me in Indianapolis. But now all of a sudden, this guy decided to bring all his stuff to a building he already owned, to a race shop he already had, and he's working out of Mooresville, I can do that. This works. If yeah. this guy can do it, I can do it. And that, you know, that type of stuff goes a long way to, to for people's perceptions about getting involved. Do you hear that, Mr. Childress? <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I, well uh, yeah. You're right, Brian. Uh, you know, when I grew up, Daryl Gwynn was down here, and their shop was maybe 10 minutes from my house, 15 minutes from my house. And they were our hometown team. I know why everybody runs out of Brownsburg. I totally get it. That's the center of the universe. It's right in the middle of the country. But at the same time, it does kind of rob that old school feel of, hey, there's a Nitro team that's from our area. Those are my guys. Yes. And for Charlotte, Clay Milliken and Rick Ware, those are your guys. And I can't imagine that all those NASCAR teams don't feel a little bit of connection to what's coming out of, of that area. And there's a lot of brain power and there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of motorsports stuff. If Indianapolis is number one, Charlotte is certainly number two when yeah. it comes to motorsports science uh, as far as cities go. And so I'd like to see another one pop up. They've got that. You said it. They've got the real estate space. They've got the CNC machine. Yep. They've got the brain power. Um, why not? Let's campaign another. Let's get a funny car. Let's get a top fueler coming out of NASCAR country. That's a fact. And I guess the last point I want to bring up is it's, to me, this really kind of cool, appropriate storyline we carry into Epping where you have two racers in Wilkerson and Milliken that are not like the mega track. They're not the mega team owner. They race so much on heart. And it's like those two guys are like the physical embodiment of what little New England dragway is. It's not it's not Z-Max. It's not Route 66 Raceway. But it's a damn good little racetrack, and it's a place that will deliver for you if you give it a shot, just like Wilkerson and Milliken delivered for their guys because they were given a shot. I, I love the, I kind of love that feel that that not the size of the the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. The forge that created Brian Loans, New England Dragway, <laughs> a facility that I went to for the first time a couple of years ago. That's where we met. You walked yep. into that back room there where you used to live, and. Just uh, you know, the rest is history. What a great, uh, what a great facility. To me, anyone there that is in the New England area, we know there's a lot of diehard motorsports fans of all forms of racing, sports fans in general. This is where I point out that the Yanks are doing a little bit better than the Red Sox, but they both stink. <laughs> I can also tell you that our Miami sports teams have really hurt you guys. Yes. Hopefully, John yeah. Ray will yeah. tell the entire audience uh, while I'm vulnerable uh, again. <laughs> And another thing, New England Dragway, Joe is a Miami Heat and a Florida Panthers fan. <laughs> In addition to being a Yankee fan, I will I will be dead. Uh, too bad. But we're in a different spot than we were 20 years ago. To go from Route 66 Raceway to New England Dragway, it's 
it's an energy. You feel it, right? A massive facility to a tiny facility. Yep. But the energy that you get when you're there, the appreciation, the fans, they love Nitro. They know their stuff. They know their stuff big time. Uh, I'm expecting a big one. I'm hoping for a sellout again. I'm hoping New England shows up and the racers, you know, they're going to put on a show. No pro stock, no pro stock motorcycle. Fuel Tech Pro Mod, first yeah. time ever. Yeah. I, I was unaware of yeah, it's cool. Uh, the Pro Mods have never raced up at Epping, the NHRA Pro Mods, and there's actually some local regional guys that are going to be jumping in the pool with them. So you're going to see some names that uh, Chuck Little and some other guys that you normally do not see out on tour um, that are going to come in and, and try to disrupt the uh, the apple cart there. we got some other fun stuff planned with the Pro Mods as well. But, hey, Joe, thanks very much for your perspective. Uh, you know, from, literally from ground level, you got to be there to, to, to kind of soak in these moments uh, where I'm watching them out the window. They were, they were happening right around you. So thanks for everything it was can a great I, go ahead can i ask you one question i know you got sure. andrew hines coming up next obviously but i, I do want to ask you your personal expertise you know on saturday night i had a great conversation with manny bajinga like face to face yes for 20 minutes and wow what a great guy he gave me a lot of his background but he did say at the time he's like you know joe if things work out right it's going to be me and chris thorne in the semi-final and i'm like okay i'm listening and he goes i just want to tell you right now that if that happens, there is no way that I stage first. And then when it happened, he stayed first immediately. Yes, he did. Was he giving me this information? Was he like setting the table and using me? Well, listen, as- he did the same thing to me <laughs> on this very show. He said, I will print it, put it in print, put it wherever you want it. I will shut my car off and this and that. Now, the difference is he's working with Todd Tuttero now. And I would be willing to bet you dollars to donuts that Todd looked him in the eye and said, if you want to go up there and do something and make me look like an idiot and make you look like an idiot, feel free. But you can leave the keys on the dashboard when you're done. Either way, I respect it. Right? Even if I he's do. using the announcers to uh, to try to set the table yep. and set the season the battlefield for himself, right? And put it out there that everyone is expecting him to do one thing and instead he does another. If I fall into that, that's my fault. Um, I thought it was great. Just had a great time. Uh, it was awesome. And hopefully we see everybody out there in New England. Brian, thank you. Thank you very much, Joe Costello. We'll be back with more here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Just one minute. It is going to be Andrew Hines, our second guest on the show. Once again, thank you very much, Joe. And we are back on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And my second guest here is none other than Andrew Hines, a crew chief for the Mission Foods Vance and Hines Suzuki. And this is a motorcycle that, uh, Andrew, I'm not sure if you've ever ridden a better motorcycle than this. I'm sure you haven't tuned a better motorcycle than this. This is incredible to watch. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic right now. I mean, you know, we're just kind of on a roll and Gage is just plugging away like he's a part of the motorcycle. When we talk about when we talk about kind of having success like this, I think it's people's tendency to start getting a little nervous. I'm guessing maybe that's just human nature is, wow, how long can this last? And that's what we're all asking. I'm guessing you can't approach it that way, right? You can't approach things by going, man, how long can we do this for? I think if you don't have the mentality of we can do this forever, you're going to, you're going to fail at some point. Right. I mean, my mentality right now is give him the best bike I can every round. And that's, it's honestly putting more pressure on me each time we go up there. Yeah. I, mean, I got my crew guys that do a great job at preparing the motorcycle. I know, you know, just from the history of our team that yes. they've always given us motorcycles that you know, we don't, we don't get pushed off the starting line. We, we don't typically have a failure going down the racetrack and there's not usually anything left loose on the bike that would prevent it from either mechanically or electrically getting to the finish line. So now it's like, all right, I got to make sure the clutch is good. Power levels, right. And Gage is going to go out there and do his job and he's going to, cut somewhere between a 20 and a 30 reaction time and and you know try and turn some wind lights on we've done that so many runs now in a row it's uh it's kind of building up to that that penultimate time of like is something gonna go wrong that's out of our control (laughs) right um but it's it's been really really enjoyable i mean the kid is doing a fantastic job and you know with his level of feedback that i get each run it's almost like when i rode the motorcycle like as i was coasting down the shutdown area I knew, you know, I could feel how it felt third gear, fourth gear. Was it revving up at the top of the gear or not? I was almost making tuning calls before I even got to the turnoff for the next round. Yeah. And he's giving me that feedback as soon as I see him at the end of the track or back at the trailer. And, you know, we worked on it through testing before prior to Gainesville and then into Gainesville. And he's like, man, it just, it's lazy at the bottom of fourth or it's not pulling the top of fifth. <laughs> now, now with his little bit of feedback and correlating that with the data, 
he's like, it just pulls all the way down the racetrack. Nice. So, um, you know, we got the clutch in a really good window, even last season when we had on gel on the bike. And, uh, when he tested Ed's bike in Vegas last year, that was like the start of implementing that onto Ed's chassis. Okay. And, and it's just worked really, really well with the way he rides. It just opens up the, the 60 foot window. It really hasn't mattered which tire we have on the bike, on the back where the wheelie bar height is, you know, with longs were with, you know, plus or minus a quarter inch. It's just, everything is jiving with, he just, op- he unlocks the potential of everything that that motorcycle was built to do. You know, and, and that, the, the potential of that motorcycle is only as good as the racetrack it is sitting on to a degree. And this looked to me like a very tricky, maybe the trickiest racetrack that, that you've had to tune on all season long. Talk a little bit about that, especially when we get to the final, because when we get to the final, uh, there was a lot of concern on that left side because we had a streetcar go up there and blow the rear end out of it, and then it was like the safety as far as out there scrubbing it. I mean, it was the least the least ideal time to have something like that happen right before a final. <laughs> so, one, how did the racetrack kind of work its way in? And two, how much deliberation on left lane to right lane for the final? Well, you know, it started at the beginning of the weekend when, when we made that first run off the truck and went 67 in the right lane. And then us having the opportunity to run the first pro stock motorcycle, too fast, too tasty mission challenge um, on Saturday, you know, we had the control over which lane we were going to run where typically in qualifying, you wouldn't have that. Right. So I told Gage, I'm like, Hey, let's just run the right lane all weekend long and never even make a pass at this track in the left lane. He's like, that'd be pretty cool. So um, it actually didn't work out that way because the wind started blowing left to right. And with these motorcycles, you want to be, closer to the wall where the wind's coming from so you don't get affected by it as much so we went left lane on saturday uh crushed out the two other 67s and then all day on sunday we stayed left lane left lane left lane and we rolled up for the final round and we walk up there and we see all the tractors sitting in the left lane we're like what's going on over there we walk up and nhra had you know they they mopped up all the rear end gear fluid or whatever it was that was on the track it was not oil it was either trans fluid or rear end gear and it was uh they mopped it up with acetone and they wiped off all the rubber right where we've been uh, running all day long and we're like oh boy and uh gage just kind of saw us milling around up there when he was sitting back on his bike so he got off and started walking towards us and i walked back to him i said hey there's a great chance we're going right lane here and he's like yeah whatever You're right yeah whatever yeah <laughs> so we went to the right lane and waited for the nhra to clean up and uh they came back and dragged it you know they did the best they could with yeah. the, the time frame and all that and we just still felt like uh, we'd be better off in the right lane and, and moved over there. Just uh, and Typically, we would make a rear steer axle adjustment for our bikes from lane to lane. Okay. And not being able to do that in that short amount of time frame, I mean, I could have went back with a wrench and moved it you know, one flat here, one flat here. But typically, we try to get it within a few thousands from where we want it to be optimum. Um, so that so is so 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 understanding that does that mean he has to make a, a, an adjustment to what his yeah his, okay yes so he has to be mentally prepped for like okay this thing may not go as straight as we planned on gotcha. this lane and we can just point the bike a little bit you know up the crown because the you know it's crowned yes uh, left lane like like a typical highway right yep. um for for watershed some tracks don't aren't like that some tracks they're they're angled the same way in each lane um so we have notes on all that and you know we work with lanny at john force racing yes. to get those notes and obviously we've eddie and i've raced down those tracks for years but just it's just inherent knowledge that we've had over the years so i told him i said just be ready i said you got to ride the ride the heck out of this thing if it's trying to go left or right in second gear and it went really nice and straight i just pointed him a little little tick to the left so he was kind of aimed at the finish line cone there and it went right to the finish line so but it was, uh, he's like, yeah, whatever. And just put me in the right lane. I'll get it down there. And, uh, he was nervous. You know, he did, he doesn't talk about how nervous he gets sometimes, but I really don't think he's, you know, he may say he's nervous, but you know, in my eyes, he doesn't look nervous and he's probably not, uh, completely thrown off, but yeah, he's not, he's not um, pacing around in circles, muttering things to himself. Right. Right. He, he, he's just, <laughs> he's in a position right now where, you know, we've won so many straight rounds. Now the bike's performing, he knows it's on him to keep performing there. And then he's racing people that he's admired for years, you know, yeah. running Eddie, he's got Chip Ellis in the final. Like he said, he's had his poster on his, in his shop for years. And, um, he's, he's running Matt Smith and other people in qualifying. And he's just, he's thrown into this situation now where he's on 
uh, premier motorcycle and you know we, we go there to win you know yes. they, they put them on the calendar to be win. our shop wants to leave here and go win them <laughs> yeah no that makes it makes total sense and you know it's in this sport over over time when somebody has the type of success that he's having you know it's almost a double down because then you start to have competitors for press themselves right you start to place other people in an uncomfortable situation and they try to do things that are outside the box so it's almost like the success we always say kind of breeds further success, but it also breeds mistakes from your competitors. Do you see it happen? Exactly. Yeah. And then he's also going to have other people throwing different scenarios at him from yes. now on in the future. Cause they, they're no, they, they know that, you know, can he be shaken? How with everybody needs to see, can he be shaken? And what is it? And he's, he's, he's already been in situations where he's rolling in and the other person's rolling in. Both bulbs come on at the same time. Um, you know, four, he he adapted to four wide. He just said, "Heck, I'm just going to count to two and turn the throttle. And I'm going to sit there on the rev limiter for four seconds and wait for the lights to come down." You know, he didn't want to be caught out being right. being timed out or somebody getting timed out and being the last one on the throttle. So uh, it's worked out really well. I mean, I'm really really proud of the kid. It's uh, uh, a lot to take in probably this, this early into his career period. He probably only has 60 65 runs on right. a wheelie bar bike. So yeah, that's insane. But, it's just his history of, you know, what I didn't know, even when I hired him, was back when he lived on the West Coast, he'd run super gas and super comp cars and ran the, the Spring Fling Million out there in Vegas. Yeah, as a, so, in a, yeah, in a full, in a dragster or whatever, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, he just, his bracket, he's bringing bra- his bracket racing side, just like Chase Van Sant is, yeah. the war team. They're bringing bracket racing into in pro stock motorcycle, kind of like you have all those guys from, like, Dallas and yes. pro stock car. You know, it's, they're upping the game of every level now it's not just have a fast motorcycle ride it as good as you can now it's ride it the best possible out of everybody and look i know the guy's on a you know rival team and he's one of your competitors but i have a ton of respect for how chase van zance handled himself this early in his professional career um to a degree he he reminds me of gage in that does not seem like a guy who gets rattled, does not seem like a guy who this is too big for, has a professional-level competitor. And, you know, the more the more swings he takes at it, the more success he's going to have. But for this early on going, he certainly seems to be ready for, for what he's doing. The kid's, the kid's good. He's proven that. He, he looks – he gets tucked on the motorcycle yeah. tight. He rides it – if it goes crooked, he rides it straight. He rides it flat. He's, if you're putting up 200-mile-an-hour runs, you know how to keep motorcycle efficient at the finish line. Yeah. Um, even my dad called me at the end of Sunday and he's like, you know who's right? The two riders that are riding the best in the class right now. He's like, it's Gage and Chase Van Sant. Yeah. I'm like, that's, a, and I, I told that to Chase. He's like, wow, that's a heck, a heck, of a compliment, heck of a comment coming from your dad. So it's, uh, it's cool to be seeing these new kids kind of taking over the class. The Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty deal, not just because you have a mission-sponsored motorcycle, but it's the first time we got to have the motorcycles as part of the program, which will continue, obviously, through the regular season. It's been great, man. You know, I think sometimes, you know, we as NHRA, we try stuff, we do stuff, and it's kind of like, eh, okay. But this thing has been fantastic. The fans are into it. I get into it, and it and I was wondering when we got it going, we're like, were people actually going to approach this as a race situation? And by and large, everybody actually does. It's great. Yeah, it is cool, and uh, it's got me thinking differently. I mean, I was, you know, typically I go into the weekend thinking, okay, I have a, a plan for all four qualifiers, execute them throughout the weekend, and this weekend was different. We got the one qualifier Friday straight into the yeah. mission, too fast, too tasty for Saturday, and I'm thinking, okay, we're sponsored by mission. This is our first mission race. I really, <laughs> really want to win this one, you know, just yeah. just to put our, our brand out there for yep. Vance and Hines and everybody, and uh I felt probably more pressure on Saturday than I did on Sunday. Just <laughs> I wanted to make sure our bike was in that that winter circle with Gage getting those those awards. So um, it's great for the class. You know, it's extra money for everybody involved, yep. and uh, you know we get to now now this weekend after our performance on Sunday with putting Eddie and Gage in the semi. Those guys get to go boxing again in, in Bristol. So they get to go figure out who's going to go go slug it out. Eddie's he's uh, he's figuring out he needs to rise to the occasion, right? So. He he cut a double O line against yeah. Joey and he goes double O against Gage. We're like, where did this Eddie Kramer come from? <laughs> well, that's the nature of a great team, right? The nature of a great team is when people are driving each other to be to be better and, and to, to push themselves in a positive way. Um, you know, Tony Pedregon saw I don't know if you were there, but he said he saw most of the team was out to dinner one night and I was talking to him the next morning and he said the one thing that struck him 
was that he was looking at a group of people that genuinely enjoyed being with each other. And it wasn't like, here's a team dinner and everyone's on their phone. He said, the you know, it just exuded this feeling of chemistry, of kind of unity and, and really of relaxed fun, which is maybe the best thing you can have. You're, you're saying he saw us at dinner? Yeah, he said he ran into you guys and, and he might have even stopped to talk to you. You guys might have just been in the same place at the same time. But, oh, okay. But but he just said he, he kind of just observed the scene and, and it came off to him as like, this was this is a group of people that is just fully working together yeah i mean we, we we all get along really really well it's it's gelled really well even with gage's family coming to the race his dad's been there and he's bringing his grandparents and his mom and his sister were at chicago this weekend and you know he's bringing other people you know we, we've been friends with kind of the same inner circle of motorcycle racers even throughout the years so some other people are coming back around and it's uh it's a really fun deal um you know it's it, obviously it's always easier to get along when things are going oh, absolutely. great. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't see it changing any which direction anyway, even if we hit the struggle bus at some point, I mean, it's just, uh, the kids level headed and he's, he's helping me, uh, figure out the next things we can implement and try. Cause you know, we're never going to stop searching. Right. And, uh, it just makes it for a all around great weekend. I mean, it's just, he, he's an extra mechanic as well. You know, we gained that, that aspect this year by bringing him on board. He's changing his rear sprockets. He can, heck, we even did a, tra- a transmission change between uh, second round and the semis just because he, wa- he wanted to find five more thousands so he could beat Eddie. So. Wow. That's great. You know, <laughs> yeah. we talk about in, in the Pro Mod class, this has really come into full effect now. Whereas, like, when Stevie Fast was really the first kind of outlaw small tire racer to venture into NHRA Pro Mod, and, and it got those other guys looking at the class, and now we see, you know, Lyle Barnett's out there, Mandy Bujenga's out there, uh, Marcus Bird was out there in Charlotte. Like, we can go down a list. Kevin Rivenbark. It's like he there was one guy that showed up and, and kind of got people looking. And I think Gladstone is that Stevie Fast character in Pro Stock Motorcycle. But now Gage mm-hmm. being the second man in. And like you said, you run through your circle has people from different aspects of motorcycle drag racing. How many more people now are looking at Pro Stock Motorcycle going, you know what? He's there. I want to be there, too. A lot. I mean, the after after Gainesville, when he came out and won, I'm not sure if everybody thought, hey, it's easy, let's go do this. Or if it just got everybody re-energized with uh, some seeing the fresh blood out there. Um, it got to the point that, I mean, we, we got four or five phone calls asking if we had a third motorcycle that we could rent out. Um, wow. I know, Joe, I know Joey and Corey are looking at building even two more bikes for future rentals. Yep. Uh, I'm sure Matt Smith's getting the same phone calls. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams out there. I know Steve Johnson's been approached by other people. There, there's a lot of people looking. It's got a lot of people across the motorcycle in- industry uh, ramped up for wanting to get out and support NHRA. So it's really cool to be part of it. Um, it's really cool to be at the top of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's the best place to be, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, a level of pride for everybody in our shop. You know, these guys have worked so hard for years to you know, now we're building the R four valve version of the head, um, which we've had out here for three years now, but uh, also the cases, you know, we're supplying, we're, we're, we're up to 17. You got another batch eight going through. So they're getting out there in the field and it's uh, really great to come back into the shop and everybody's energized on yeah. just seeing everybody go down the track. Even this weekend, uh, I had one of my my longtime crew guys. He's dealing with some family issues, so he wasn't there. But we brought our our kid in that builds our assembles our crankshafts for the pro stock engines. I said, "Hey, you want to go to the track and see all these guys try to blow up your work?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um, luckily, we didn't see any crankshaft carnage. Yeah. Uh, we had some issues, but nothing caused by what he was working on. So, um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's cool to introduce new people and uh, get them out there and, and have fun with it. Last question for let you go, Andrew. You mentioned the fact that you're always going to keep exploring and, and keep tinkering and keep looking at, you know, options to get better and faster. And I guess my question is, how do you temper that or how do you balance that with, damn, we got a good thing going right now. I don't want to jack it up versus, man, this shiny new thing over here may, might make us even better. So what is the what is your mental balance on that? How far is too far and, and how lazy is lazy for you? Uh, right now, we've luckily we've built up a really good arsenal. We have uh, six shiny bullets in the trailer, um, two in each bike, and then four spares. And what, what we did was we took the the one from Gainesville that Gage ran really fast with, and I said, "Don't touch it." Okay, let's leave that one alone. Let's 
And we, we, we ran one prior to Gainesville and testing, and that was slow. And I said, let's make this one better. And that's the one that won Charlotte and Chicago. So, so we're going to leave this one alone for a bit and make the, the engines five and six that haven't been touched and dusted off in a while and get these up to spec. So by the time the countdown comes, we'll have them all uh, uh, serviced, rested, and ready to go. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, I, the problem is I, I kind of like put my fingers together like the evil mastermind there, you know? Right. Imagine that. And I want to change stuff, but I have to hold myself back so hard because I know I could go down the wrong path sometime. You take a bike to the track, and it's 500 slower, and you're scratching your head. But yeah. I'll try to keep myself uh, from getting too far off base. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's the that's the neat balance, the neat balance of of just of, of innovating enough, and then not not innovating yourself into a, into a blind alleyway somewhere. <laughs> yep, yep. Luckily, I got enough guys around here to kind of they've known my history of wanting to change those parts out or try something different. They're like, stop, just leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> Put the wrenches down and step away from the motorcycle, sir. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, Andrew, congratulations on the early season success, not just for Gage, but Eddie's bike has come a long way in a short period of time obviously the gauge story is kind of overshadowing everything else that's going on in the class right now for good reason but congratulations yeah, I mean, uh, and go for yeah. it thank you i mean we got eddie up in second points now i mean yep. he hasn't hadn't been in the final but a couple of strong semifinal finishes and we uh we realized in qualifying after joey was quick and eddie was quick we just hit him in the wrong session and then the two fa- other two fastest bikes had to race each other in the second round so is what it is, but we'll move on and keep on plugging. We will see the Pro Stock Motorcycle Class back again at Thunder Valley, Bristol, Tennessee, after our Epping race. Andrew, thanks very much, and I look forward to uh, seeing you at Thunder Valley. Great, Brian. Thanks. Stick around. I'll be right back with some final thoughts in this episode of the NHRA Insider. Back here with some final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insiders. We get ready for Memorial Day weekend, a weekend off for NHRA drag racing, but certainly not for the greater racing community in America. Of course, one of the great days of motorsports all year long. Monaco in the morning, midday, you got the Indy 500. And then in the evening, you have the Coke 600. So if you're a racing fan of any stretch or stretch or stripe and you got Monday off, put off the yard work till Monday and park yourself in front of the couch for what will be uh, several great motorsports events it was a great weekend in chicago i cannot wait to get to epic new hampshire obviously it's a place that means a lot to me my home racetrack and a place that uh, is very very excited to have the new england nationals back it's been happening there since 2013 you can get your tickets on nhra.com and if uh, history has been a guide this year, we're going to have a lot of people there. We've had a lot of people virtually everywhere we have stopped and gone this year. Um, I don't think we have a single race that's been down. No, we haven't sold every place out, but basically every race we've had has been up either a little or a lot in terms of ticket sales and spectator counts. We have great coverage coming from New England Dragway as well on FS1. We have qualifying and elimination shows earlier in the weekend. And then our Sunday show is going to be split in a very interesting way. You're basically going to watch round one live on FS1, then you're going to watch a stock car race, and then we're going to come in, or it's, I believe, a soccer match or something, but we're coming back at 7 p.m. for the final elimination show. So we have we have four hours of coverage to bring you from Epping, and we have Top Fuel, Funny Car, and the Fuel Tech Pro Modified Series presented by Type A Motorsports at Epping. So not only is it four hours, going to be able to dive in to tell you a lot of great stories, dive into the pit area, show you the thrash, talk about busted parts, and busted hopes and dreams and all that kind of good stuff so a lot of going on in the world of nhra drag racing and it is going to be an exciting mid-stretch here as we really get busy now we go back to back for the first time this year when we go to epping and then come home immediately and go to bristol Um, then we have a week off and go to norwalk so so much going on i'm actually going to be making a stop uh, in between thunder valley and norwalk at bowling green kentucky for the national NHRA National Hot Rod Reunion down there, which is a whole other story I'll tell you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for being an NHRA fan. Thank you for supporting our return to Route 66 Raceway with the Gerber Collision in Glass. Uh, Route 66 Nationals presented by Peak Performance. It was a banger of a weekend. Cannot wait to do the same thing at Epping. Next week will be a pre-race show. We'll talk about Funny Car, Top Fuel, and Pro Modified and get you all cranked up for the New England Nationals. Grab your lobster, grab your chowder, and get yourself up to New Hampshire for that one. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following Drag Racing.